really what's being talked about in Washington is more on the scale of what we did in the New Deal with the Public Works Commissions and the Conservation Corps. We did a lot of public building. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. On this week's episode, we're discussing a topic that everyone in our great state interacts with in one way or another on a daily basis, which is infrastructure. While this topic doesn't sound exciting, it certainly has a big importance not only for our local economy, but also our everyday lives. With this in mind, and varying pieces of pending legislation on infrastructure coming up, I thought it would be great to invite on a local thought leader to chat about some of these things, which our guest today is Wayne Hoffman. Wayne has spent his entire career working in different capacities across construction and project finance, working with small villages and large companies alike. So welcome, Wayne, to Mint Money. Thanks for having me, Will. I'm, I'm really enjoying what you're doing with this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much for those kind words. And so when it comes to construction and project finance, it's quickly apparent that you've developed quite the skill set over the course of your career to offer top-notch advice to your clients. Having served on numerous local and regional community organizations, what perspective does this give you on the impact of this upcoming infrastructure bill? Well, I, I've been really lucky to work, I guess, in two sides of the construction industry. One we call the horizontal, which is water main, sewers, roads. And then I had the benefit of working with Spence Brothers for eight years, and that's the vertical side, so building up. It really gave some really broad depth to my knowledge. The ways we finance water main and sewers is a lot different than we would finance a building. So I was able to be exposed to tax credits, economic development incentives. So it really gave me a different perspective when it comes to both sides. So I can bring a little more to the table. And being involved in so many organizations has really helped me understand the needs of the community in a different way, especially compared to earlier in my career. Oh, definitely. And so in simple terms, why do you think there's been so much press on this upcoming infrastructure bill? Why do we also need to put such an investment in our infrastructure now? Yeah, so that begs a lot of questions. So as far as why is there so much attention to it? I think one side is political. I think on one side, you know, there's a lot of interest to see if we can have bipartisanship in Washington. So, you know, we're going through this long drawn out process of negotiating that seeing if that works. But, you know, infrastructure is a big kitchen table issue for people. The road in front of your house, the road you drive on, on the highway, every time you flush a toilet, you're using infrastructure. So it's one of those issues that touches everyone in every part of the nation. As far as, you know, last time something of this scale has tried to be done, it's kind of interesting. We've had this discussion. It's an old bad joke of next week's infrastructure week. Well, we hope it's finally here. But, you know, even the state or the federal highway system wasn't quite on the scale of what we're talking here. And that was a big investment. I consider it, like I said, one of the modern marvels, a wonder of the world that we need to maintain. 
But really what's being talked about in Washington is more on the scale of what we did in the New Deal with the public works commissions and the Conservation Corps. We did a lot of public building. And even compared to the financial crisis, when we had the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, that pales in comparison to the, the dollars we're talking about here. So I really see this as a once in a lifetime opportunity for us to get our systems right. I think it's very much needed, especially on the water and sewer side. If you look at all the communities, especially in the Rust Belt that are impacted by lead service lines, also trying to deal with the legacy of combined sewer overflows and things like that, that impact our water. This is a really great opportunity, especially paired up with what's already been passed in the American Rescue Plan Act. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like there's a lot of great opportunities to help invest in new infrastructure projects, but also help keep some of those aging infrastructure projects still online and then also prevent any future problems from coming up. And so in relation to the last question, are there some unique things that people may be surprised about that are in the bill? Well, what's interesting is we don't have a lot of details about what's in the bill. We have some ideas on other legislation that'll probably be pushed into it. So the way it works is there are bills introduced in Washington all the time. And, you know, probably 2% of them actually get passed. So there's a lot of bills that have been introduced that may wind up in a final big, you know, package. Some of those things that are in there, which I'm kind of excited about, pilot projects for smart cities technology and cybersecurity. So, you know, just like your corporations, you know, we at Wade Trim are taking the cybersecurity thing really seriously, not only for ourselves, but for our clients, because there's a lot of consumer data that our, our clients have to deal with. Obviously, we're working with water, so we want to make sure things are secure. So pilot projects to, you know, tackle the cybersecurity issue and make our cities work a little smarter so we can manage our assets, manage traffic, things like that. There's also proposed $50 billion for resiliency projects, which here in Michigan is actually an important thing, considering that we have, and we've really had it in our history, but the water fluctuates pretty rapidly on our lakes. And we've seen that in the last five years. So I'm working with a few communities that really need to deal with high water issues. So that's really exciting to see. And then one of the other things, it's not going to be part of the hard infrastructure, but because you know, we're not really raising taxes, at least that's not the initial proposal, you're going to see a lot of tax credits come out and might be familiar with the historic tax credit. I think it's a great program to revitalize, you know, large buildings, but there's something called the neighborhood homes tax credit. And this is near and dear to me as somebody who wants to see our neighborhoods revitalized. It's a way for you to invest in your community in a way that you know, kind of refocuses your tax dollars away from Washington, D.C. and into your own community. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that come to mind based on that. And so I guess the first question I'd ask kind of in relation to your response is, if you had to, in your opinion, scale down any potential project to one that Michigan may need the most, what in your opinion would be, whether that's maybe aging infrastructure below the ground, such as water pipes, or maybe looking above the ground, maybe looking at our roads or bridges or things like that? You know, that's a complex question because we have a lot of needs. We've actually done a better job of taking care of our federal aid system. So that's our highways and, you know, your M routes. We have put some money into that in the state. Our local roads are pretty bad. And, you know, 
federal infrastructure funding isn't really meant to do that. There will be funding that makes its way down to local roads, but it's probably not enough. So that's a major area. Another area that I think we all just don't think about too much is our water and sewer system. So, you know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, which is really a great transformational thing, especially for us in the Great Lakes. You know, it cleaned up our rivers and lakes. But at the same time, that Water Act had a lot of regulations and they were really unfunded mandates. And they kind of coincided with, you know, the decline of a lot of our urban cities. So if you think about it, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s, we're putting on all these regulations. Cities like Bay City, Saginaw, Flint, Detroit had to spend a lot of money on cleaning up their systems while their tax base was declining. So what you have in these cities are people who are paying, you know, five to 10% of their monthly income on water. And that's not a good thing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully reversing that trend. Oh, absolutely. And then if you don't mind touching upon some of your own experiences with that tax credit, what were some of the things that attracted you to look into that further within Bay City? And are those programs prevalent across other towns across the state? Yeah. So, you know, the historic tax credit and another program I've worked with, the New Markets Tax Credit, use those on the SVRC marketplace. Those are highly complex and they require, typically you're bringing in an institutional investor. The thought behind the neighborhood homes tax credit is that we're trying to encourage local investors, local business owners, and you know, right now, housing's a big issue. You know, trying to find a house is not fun. Meanwhile, we have a lot of affordable houses in our in our urban areas that just need to be rehabbed. Now, the cost to rehab, you know, doesn't pencil with the cost to, to actually sell them, which I think you talked a lot with Jennifer Acosta about in the previous podcast. The opportunity with this tax credit is that it's designed to fill that gap. So, you know, the investor would be able to receive the tax credit based on that gap of the the sale value. And, you know, this is something that's transformational. I'm doing a, a renovation on a land bank owned home in Bay City right now. I don't have access to it. Boy, I wish I did. You know, it's one of those things that I don't think people are going to really understand out of the gate. But the opportunities there to have uh, community leaders kind of lead the charge and saying, hey, this is how it's used. Let's try to make a big difference here. Well, thank you for touching upon that. So switching topics just a little bit, as of now, it looks like that there would be a lot of opportunities for local businesses to also benefit from the American Rescue Plan Act. What are some things that businesses could be doing now to help prepare for that? You know, it's interesting because so much money went out through the Paycheck Protection Program, the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. I hope people are kind of up on it. The next tranche is what's coming through the state and local funds. So each state and each municipality across the nation is getting a chunk of money. It's not competitive. They're just getting it. And you're going to see a lot of different approaches. I think every community is going to spend their money a little differently. The state is probably going to put some money into small business assistance. They're also putting a lot of money into infrastructure, incidentally, especially water and sewer. But, you know, businesses really should try to understand what's going on at the city level and the county level. Participate in those discussions, go to public comment. If you're not, you're just not going to be, you know, engaged enough to know because each community is going to do it a little different. So it's really important that businesses know what's going on. 
you should use resources like the SBDC, so the Small Business Development Center. In our region, it's based at SVSU to really understand what's coming down the pike. And those folks can help you, especially if you're a small business. Of course, that's wonderful advice. And so would you mind talking a little bit about innovative infrastructure finance and how ESG and philanthropic organizations are starting to play a key role within that space? Yeah, so there's a lot of innovation in terms of where we're getting the funding from. You know, there's a lot of interest in private sector investment. You know, United States infrastructure is still a pretty good bet. The U.S. taxpayer right now is still a very stable payer on bonds and stuff like that. But one of the things I'm really excited about is something called environmental impact bonds. And when we do stormwater projects, you know, we're trying to keep the stormwater from, you know, reaching our rivers and lakes before it's treated. So typically what we've done is we build what's called gray water infrastructure, which is we'll dig a really big hole, you know, we'll put a basin in or a tunnel. And while that is pretty effective at doing it, it's very intrusive. You got to dig, I mean, huge holes. We dig like 12 foot tunnels, you know, under Cleveland and Pittsburgh. So those are really intrusive projects, not always the most environmental friendly in terms of, you know, we're putting in a lot of concrete. We're having trucks, you know, drive a lot and then someday you got to fix it. So another approach is what's called green infrastructure, where we put in a lot of rain gardens and we use pervious pavements. So the water, instead of going into a holding tank, goes into the ground, which is the best way to treat water. So to incentivize that, we have what's called environmental impact bonds, because that's not always what water system wants to do. They know how to dig holes. They don't necessarily know how to you know, put in pervious pavements and filter strips along, along roads. So the environmental impact bond is a way for the investor to get some upside if the project doesn't meet its goals. On the other hand, if it exceeds its goals, the investor actually gets a premium payment. So it's a pretty cool new vehicle that even philanthropy can play a role in as well. The one most recently was up in Buffalo where it was actually the Ralph Wilson Foundation underwrote the bond issuance costs. So they made it a little more palatable for the community. And then they also were part of the private placement of the bonds. So it wasn't a publicly placed bond. I think the next step is you're going to see more public placement of these bonds. So the market will grow and the demand will grow as well. It's a really interesting way, I mean, to your point, for the local community to kind of look into different innovative ways and new ways to help kind of fund those projects. So that's really cool. Appreciate you mentioning that. And so with a bill that's going to be this big, consumers are most likely going to be impacted in a positive manner in many different ways. Do you mind highlighting some of the top things that people may notice? Well, what I really hope to see, especially in urban communities, like I discussed earlier, that they've borne the brunt of our Clean Water Act requirements, getting those water rates down. If you're in Flint and you're paying, you know, 7% of your income going towards water and sewer, you know, you don't have much other discretionary income. That's on top of whatever you're paying for housing. So I really hope to see, you know, this once in a lifetime investment go towards that. Another thing you might see, and, you know, it's important to understand the infrastructure plan isn't, you know, we're not trying to actually build shovel-ready projects because, quite frankly, we don't have enough people to use the shovels. It's a long-term investment over 
five to eight years. So you're going to see a little inflation. The construction industry is already struggling with labor, but you know, hopefully we can push that out. So people are not overwhelmed, you know, contractors and engineers aren't overwhelmed with too much work. And the other piece is it's really an opportunity to get people back into the trades. We've neglected that, especially here in Michigan. So it's an opportunity to push folks into good paying jobs. Yeah, definitely. Sounds like a win-win kind of any which way you go look at it. I mean, it sounds like throughout the whole course of this interview, you've just had this wealth of knowledge. And how are you able to go stay on top of all these different things when it comes to these different bills, the fine points that are behind them and just kind of staying on top of them? Well, I think the thing you have to do is get beyond just reading the articles. A lot of reporting on this is just skin deep. So it's getting into the legislation, understanding what's actually there, what's the legislative intent. And once it actually becomes law, these infrastructure plans and things like that, they have to go through administrative rulemaking. So it's understanding how the agencies are going to interpret what the lawmakers put in the legislation. July was very busy for me, June and July, because not only is, are the infrastructure discussions going on in Washington, but every state, we're actually in nine states, every state makes their state budget at the same time. So, you know, I was getting pinged in my inbox constantly. Okay, this bill just got updated. This bill got amended. So trying to keep up with all that's a lot, but we were able to do it pretty well. So at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is really position our clients before there's even a grant opportunity or, or a loan program to say, hey, this is what's coming. Let's prep your project. Let's prep your capital improvement plan so that you're in the best position to you know, capture funding. Exactly. No, that sounds awesome. And so what are some things that you like to go do with your free time when you're not looking into infrastructure related needs or bills? Boy, free time's at a premium, just like I'm sure everyone feels right now. Right now I'm in the middle of, I was telling you earlier, renovating a house in Bay City. It's a house that had been vacant for 10 years. It's 150 years old, built in 1872. And boy, what a learning process. I heard a really good German proverb that first you should build a house for your enemy, then you should build a house for your friend, and then you should build a house for yourself. And <laughs> that sounds like good wisdom, but it's coming along well. You know, fortunately for me, all the lumber is there, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't have to go out and buy a bunch of lumber, but you know, we are getting hit by the trades being a little light on people, but it's coming along well, should be in, in September. Yeah, it's definitely quite the labor of love. There's the amount of different things you can go do, especially with a good opportunity that you have with that nice of a house too. And the other thing that's really interesting for me is it's in a neighborhood that has two other vacant houses and two other vacant lots. And I see that as an opportunity, especially with some of the tools that are coming out with, like I was saying, the neighborhood homes tax credit, I'm already talking with a few folks who are interested in investing in the community. So you know, that's, even though I'll get the house done, I'm sure I'm going to be busy working on this neighborhood for quite a while. Sure. Yeah. It's a great way to go invest back within the community too, the neighborhood itself, kind of trying to revitalize a whole area. So it's just, it's a fantastic endeavor. It sounds like a, <laughs> a little more far reaching than maybe some of my garden work I do over the weekend. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <laughs> And so for those people who want to learn more about yourself and then Wade Trim as well, what are some good resources for the listeners? Yeah, you can check us out at our website, wadetrim.com. We're also on LinkedIn and Facebook. 
you know, we are always posting updates about things we're doing across the nine states we're working in. We're doing a lot of stuff in technology, including reality capture, which is really a neat emerging technology. But you can also follow me on LinkedIn. I kind of lead something we call Funding Scout at Wade Trim. So it's all about, you know, trying to find out what the next grant source, what the next cool new way of funding projects is. So it's something I really enjoy and I really love sharing it with people. And for people who may be interested within that funding, Scott, that you just mentioned, is that something that people can go look up if they were to go connect with you? Or is that something that if they were to go to Wade Trim's website, they could easily go find? That's actually exclusive to our clients. So if folks want to get our insights, we really try to limit that to our clients. I put out some stuff that's a little more open to the public, but you know that is a value add for sure for our company. I appreciate mentioning that. So thank you again for listening to another episode of Mint Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast. You don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you, Will. You've been listening to Mint and Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com.